0: The rest of us will be in Matthew chapter 25 today. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 46. Today we're going to start with a review. So if you're not dialed in, you'll miss it, okay? I know you've got to watch the kids. Okay. This is the seventh week of our series. Um, And it is our sixth week in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. It's an extended period. It's on the last night of Jesus' life. He will share a time of communion with his disciples on this very same evening. And this is after... Matthew 24, an extended time and 25 about um, the end time events. Now also remember that we spent one week in Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 through 27 and we talked about what is called Daniel's 70th week because that's what Daniel talks about. It seems to be a very important time in the end time period. Jesus said, and remember, this all began in Matthew 24, when the disciples came to him and they asked, Jesus, what will it be like at the end of the age, in the end times? And Jesus said there will be political upheaval. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said there would be religious deception. There would be many false teachers and false Christ, people who claim to be Christ and 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 we've seen that happen all through history. Jesus said there would be environmental disturbances. I guess that would include a change in weather patterns as well. There will be famines and earthquakes. And Jesus said all these things, they're just the beginning of birth pains. They're, They're just the beginning of like labor contractions where uh, as the time grows closer, the, the, the labor will grow more intense and the events will become closer together. Jesus foretold that there would be a time of tribulation on the earth, time of great trials and suffering. He predicted that evil would increase and people's love would grow cold and Christians would be persecuted and martyred because of their faith. He warned his disciples of the abomination that causes desolation, kind of a technical concept from the book of Daniel, and we spent some time on that in Daniel chapter 9, that a world leader called the Antichrist would go into the temple in Jerusalem, and he would proclaim himself to be God. Jesus said, at the end of the age, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the earth will be shaken and then he's gonna come back and he's gonna be right there he taught his disciples always to look out always to be ready and always to be faithful until he returns that's that's our call to be on the watch To live as today's the day, to be ready, to be faithful. And that's the hard work, day in and day out, because it's so easy to get distracted. Frederick Buechner puts it this way, and we've got a quote here, I think. The New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will ring down the final curtain on history. And there will come a day in which All our days and all the judgments upon us and all our judgments upon each other will themselves be judged. The judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. And that's really good news if you're a Christ follower to know how much uh, he loves us. Our passage today reminds us that there is a time coming when it will be too late to change anyone's eternal destiny. And the question for us is, are we clear about our own eternal destination? There is a choice, and we see this clearly today in our passage. There is a choice. We can choose life or we can choose death. We can choose eternal life, or we can choose eternal death. The return of Christ is in verses 31 and 33, and we see the coming of the king of kings. King of kings is that term that Jesus used, or excuse me, the apostle John used to refer to Jesus, king of kings and Lord of lords. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31 when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So here's the scene in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes. You remember that the term son of man is a term that Jesus often, most often used to refer to himself. Um, In verse 31 is very similar to what Jesus has already said in this long teaching time. You think my teaching time is long. Matthew Back, we're going back one chapter. If you have your Bible open, or if you have your smartphone open, if we're just gonna go back to 24, Matthew 24 and verse 30. And we we looked at this a few weeks back. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the heavens to the earth. A different picture of Jesus' return, but the same return. When Jesus comes in his glory, he will sit On his throne for a time of judgment. And Jesus identifies himself as this one sitting on the throne. Who sits on thrones? Well, kings do. And you remember a lot has been said about kings in the Bible. For example, God gave uh, King David a promise that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. It's called the Davidic Covenant, the promise. There would be a king sitting, a real king, a real person, a human, a descendant of David sitting on David's throne forever. And God's people were looking for a king like that, and he didn't come. And Gabriel said that before Jesus was born that he would have he would be the son of David, it would be the son who would fulfill these promises. So does Isaiah chapter nine verse seven. And so... There is a time in and, and, and Revelation chapter 19 where history is moving in that direction. When Jesus returns, it's another picture of it. Same return, same, but a different picture. When he comes in judgment, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now the prophet Daniel saw this in the vision already. It's a passage we looked at. I want to remind us of it again. He, he saw this in about 586 BC. So think in terms of over 600 years before Christ. Daniel chapter 9 or 7, verses 13 and 14. And Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds in heaven. Now, this is the imagery that Jesus is using. This is, he's identifying with this passage. He will be coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and he was led into his presence. And of course, the Ancient of Days is is a name for God the Father. And so here we have the Son and we have the Father together. And the Son is in the presence, verse 14. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. The Father delegated to the Son all of his authority delegated authority now where do we see that Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 Jesus said this is just going to be several days later it's going to be after his resurrection right when he gave the great commission he said all authority has been given to me on on in heaven and on earth And this is the one. This is Jesus. The passage continues in Daniel 7. All the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation. His dominion is everlasting. Is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. Daniel is talking about this same one that's going to be on David's throne forever. The same one as 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the Davidic covenant. David, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be on your throne forever, and he will have a kingdom. His dominion and his rule will be eternal, and it can never be destroyed. The occasion comes back now. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32. Jesus goes on to say, "All the nations will be gathered before Him. Going to be gathered before Jesus, and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats." This is going to be at the end of the age. All the nations will be gathered before Him. Uh, not not meaning political entities, but the people of all the nations. Probably that's obvious. Sometimes people get confused. And on this occasion, there will be a judgment. Jesus will function as a, as a shepherd. Here's a metaphor of a shepherd, and the people are sheep and goats. Metaphor for the people. Sheep, metaphor, goats. Now, actually herding sheep and goats together was a common picture in ancient Israel. Israel. Maybe you don't think of that. Maybe other countries don't do it that way, but it was common in the first century. And the kind of sheep and goats represented in Israel had a lot of similarities at different times because they were often had the same coloring, the same size, and sometimes were hard to distinguish, but the shepherd would separate them uh, often at nighttime. The order is found in verse 33. He will put sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Um, Sheep is a term that uh, God used for his people. God used that term sheep for Israel. And, And Jesus used that term for his followers in John chapter 10. And he's going to put the sheep on the right and uh, shows a position of strength and honor and favor. He's going to put the goats on his left. And this is going to happen at the end of the age. This is the at the end of Daniel's 70th week. And we might call it the end of the tribulation period. Now the question that we can ask here if you're wondering is where is the church and I have a bias on this and uh, I've shared it already but I think the church is already going to be in heaven with Jesus I think the church is going to be coming also when Jesus returns and that's the passage we're going to look at next week 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 so just hang on until we get there um, but I, if you want to read it this week, First Thess chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So after Jesus returns in the clouds and establishes his throne for judgment in verses 31 through 33, we have the invitation that comes from him, the invitation of the king of kings, is verses 34 through 40. Here's the invitation, verse 34, at the end of the age. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So the invitation to those on the right, the sheep, and the invitation is come, welcome, Welcome into the king, kingdom that's been prepared for you. Welcome to the inheritance and all that goes with it, heaven and all that goes with it. He calls them blessed by my father. They've already experienced blessing. They've already experienced God's favor. They've already experienced God's grace. Now they're ready to receive their inheritance. They're ready to take their roles in the kingdom. God has always had a plan. It was prepared uh, for you since the creation of the world. He's always had a plan since the very beginning on what he would do. The reason in verse 35 and 36, here's what Jesus said. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and, and you came to visit me. The reason was their lifestyle. It was the way they lived out, their faith. They lived to serve Jesus, and Jesus recognized that. That's exactly what they did. Their faith was practical. They provided food when it was needed, and they provided water, and they provided shelter when it was needed. They provided clothing. They provided medical and health care when it was needed, and they visited people in prison. These were sacrificial Loving acts of kindness. Now, sometimes there's confusion about this. Is this how they get accepted? Is this how they get into the kingdom? By doing all these good things, and if they did enough good things, they they get accepted? No, that's not it. These are already the righteous people. They're just living out their faith. The proof, verse 37 through 40 Then the righteous will answer him, already righteous, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we do that? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, this is one of those passages that gets used a lot and there's some great, great applications for it, but I want to keep it into what Jesus was talking about in this passage. Um, The next question is Who are these brothers and sisters? Who are the brothers and sisters of mine? Again, I have a particular perspective on this, and I I want to explain it. Who are these people in need at the end of the age? And there's a lot of different views about who these people are. The application is going to be for us, we are to live like these people this is an appropriate style of living out our faith, is loving other people and caring for others. But I want us to understand the total context. Now, Revelation chapter 7, you can turn there if you would like. I'm going to read an extended passage here. Daniel's 70th week, according to the way I understand the book of Revelation, begins in Revelation chapter 6, okay? The time at the end of the age where there's going to be a time of tribulation on earth. In Revelation chapter 7, and however you interpret the book of Revelation, you have to have answers to who these people are. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. And the apostle John writes, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. This is Daniel's 70th week. 70 weeks were given to God's people, Israel. 69 have taken place, if you remember. And now God's program is shifting back to Israel in the 70th week. Where's the church? I think the church is already with Jesus. Now, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed, sealed and marked by the Holy Spirit. How did the Apostle Paul come to faith? If you remember, the Apostle Paul had a rather dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, and it was like almost struck by lightning, and he met Jesus face to face, and he just gave in, and he trusted Jesus. It was a dramatic conversion. It changed Paul's life, and he became the most significant evangelist and church planter probably in the history, at least one of those in the history of the world. Now, imagine if there were 144,000 like that. Because you still have to... Who are these people in Revelation chapter 7? From the tribe of Judah, there were 12,000 received. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000. The tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. The tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. I take these literally. These are real people who will have a dramatic conversion in the end of the age. And these are Jewish evangelists. Now, follow along. You still have to explain who these people are. Verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, They were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen then one of the elders asked me these in white robes who are they and where did they come from then one of the elders er, and I answered sir you know and he said these are they who have come out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb now listen to this Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. People who needed shelter. Never again will they hunger. People who needed food. We all need that, but you and I have way more than plenty. And never again will they thirst because there were people who needed water. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes because they will be in that eternal kingdom. I think... The people in Matthew chapter 25 that Jesus refers to, to his brothers, are the people who come to faith. And then there is a radical persecution against these Jewish evangelists. And there will be thousands and perhaps millions of people executed. They will be martyrs during this time of great judgment on the earth. And Jesus will recognize them. how these people are treated. Food and clothing and shelter and medical care. The care for them and the love for them is what should should be the fruit of a Christ follower's life. It's, It's how Christians should live when they face people around them in need. This was James' argument in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, that applies to us today. And James writes, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? So this is kind of a warning, and we see this in the church today. Sometimes it's called easy believism, or people giving intellectuals assent. Or people sometimes, walk, they walk the aisle or they pray that prayer and there's no genuine faith and there's no new life that follows and there's no fruit that follows. But they, they said they believe the right stuff. And so James continues in verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs just like those people in Matthew 25. In the same way, faith by itself, is not ac- if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Genuine faith takes action. Real faith serves others. Real faith cares about people. Real faith is not self-absorbed. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith with- without deeds. And- I will show you my faith by my deeds. Good deeds are the demonstration of genuine faith. James says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder in the presence of God. Demons have a lot of right information. There's no conversion on their part. They have willfully chosen their way. Believing in God. Some people, I believe in God. That's not the gospel. It's about believing in Jesus who died for you. He was buried and he was raised again and lives right now at the right hand of God and he is alive and well and he is coming back. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. He says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. And Paul teaches that salvation is clearly a gift. It's something I received. It's not something that I earn. I don't do it by performance or, or good deeds. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then he comes to verse 10. And I love how he fits these together. He says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I've been created in Christ Jesus. I've been given a new life, and I'm a new creation. I'm a new person because I place my faith in Christ. I get a, I get a clean slate and a new chance and a new life. And God has already prepared things for me to do, and he's already prepared things for you to do. You see that in verse 10? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I need to walk with Christ, so we just walk right into those things that he wants us to do. If we don't walk with Christ, we can miss it. If you go your own way tomorrow, you could miss it. It's just day in and day out, walk humbly with Christ. So that's the, the sheep on the right. And now we come to those on the left in verses 41 through 46. The rejection by the king of kings in verse 41, the pronouncement, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is going to be a sad event. The king speaks to those on his left. He commands them to depart from him. He orders them into eternal fire, prepared for Satan and his demons. It's called the lake of fire. It's in Revelation chapter 19. It's a very real place. And, you know, our culture doesn't like to talk about it. You know, what's popular opinion? What do you want to think about it? What do you think? What do you think? It doesn't really make any difference. Because God has been communicating this for for thousands of years. It's still true. The reason why... Why the pronouncement? He said, For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. There was no genuine faith demonstrated by these people. They did not serve Jesus, they did not have compassion empowered by the Holy Spirit. Their lives had no fruit, no growth, no character development. They did it their way, not the way of Jesus. The proof is in verses 44 and 45. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? The answer, he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did, Not do for one of the least of these. And I think he's talking in this passage about the end of the age. And it applies to us. This is how we need to live today. It's the way a Christ follower lives. This is how a Christ follower will live in the end of the age. But it's going to be really dramatic. It's going to be really tremendous stress and and struggle and trial and it's going to be like living through a world war and the great depression and everything all at once and it'll probably be worse than that it's how you treat even the least one of these the the insignificant and those who are not noticeable final conclusion verse 46 at the end of the age there will be a judgment look at verse 46 Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And that's how Jesus ends all of this. It's kind of a big deal. He just lands the plane here on end times. But there is a choice, the choice to choose life or to choose death, eternal life or eternal death. An application for us is if you know Christ, You're a Christ follower already. You've already placed your faith in Jesus. Live every day like today is the day that the Lord will return. Remember, Jesus said, watch. Keep watch. Be ready. Be faithful. Michael J. Wilkins uh, has this quote. He says, live as though Jesus is coming back today. Plan as though Jesus is coming back in a 100 years. Today's the day, but don't stop living, don't stop planning, don't stop having a vision to serve him, don't stop planning to be a good steward, but live today as if this could be the day. Our question is, are you watching for him? Are you, are you looking out for him? Are, are you ready for him to come today? What would you do to be ready? And then, are you, are you faithful? Are you being faithful right now? Have you been faithful these last weeks and months? Will you be faithful this coming week? Second application is if you don't know Jesus yet, begin a personal relationship with him today. Start fresh start new begin a relationship with him jesus said he's going to he's coming back and we can we can count on that for sure he will the apostle peter writes in second peter chapter three in verse nine he says the lord is not slow in keeping his promise and he's talking about this his return right there this is the whole context of second peter three He's not slow about keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. You know, when we humans begin to gauge what what God should be doing and when He should be doing it, instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is that no one be condemned. God's desire is that every person turn to Him in faith. To begin a relationship with him in faith. And he's just being patient right now. So if I want to begin a relationship with God today, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, I'm going to give you just uh, f- four simple concepts that come out of the Bible. The first one is, I need to admit that I'm a sinner. I d- you know, the Bible says I'm a sinner. For Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, that's Romans six twenty three. Romans three twenty three is for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all, we are all sinners. There's no person ever born in the world that hasn't been a sinner except Jesus. Next is to understand the consequences of sin. This is Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death. And it's not, he's not talking about physical death. There, It's a spiritual death, an eternal separation from God forever. And Jesus called it hell. For the wages of sin is really hell. Thirdly, know that Jesus took your penalty on himself. This, this is sometimes hard to understand. And this is why God sent his son to our earth, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, and me, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is a choice. Whoever, anyone who chooses to believe in Christ. And that passage just reminds us that how much God loves us, how much God loves you and me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it because of love. Christ died for us. He was our substitute. He took our place. I deserve death for my own sin. But 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, whose life was infinitely valuable, paid for my sin and your sin. And his work is finished. Now God is holy, and he cannot be in the presence of sin, and he is also totally just. Jesus took our sin penalty on himself, and he satisfied the sin penalty that we have to pay. God's wrath is satisfied. He gave his life so that we could have life as our substitute. Now, we call that sometimes the substitutionary atonement. It's kind of a big phrase. It means Jesus died for us. There's an illustration that I hope helps with this. Fiorello Henry LaGuardia was the mayor of New York from 1934 to 1945. In his book, Try and Stop Me, Bennett Cerf tells of this story in the life of Mayor LaGuardia. When LaGuardia was mayor, he often would officiate uh, in handling routine misdemeanors in the court. Because as a mayor, he could do that. He could go in and sort of be the judge. Uh, On one occasion, he handled the case of a man who was caught stealing a loaf of bread. This is 1935. This is coming to the end of the Depression. He stole a loaf of bread because his family was starving. LaGuardia heard the case And he decided to have mercy on this man. But he was also required to be just. And so LaGuardia took out a $10 bill from his own pocket and he paid the fine. And then he looked at everybody in the courtroom and he said, I'm fining every one of you 50 cents because there's a man living In New York City that doesn't have enough food for his family and so he charged the bailiff to pass the hat and everybody put in their 50 cents and there was $47.50 and Mayor LaGuardia gave that money to the man who stole the bread. That's the kind of thing that God did for us we deserved the penalty, but he took our penalty. But we got way more than just the penalty to be paid for. Way more. We got forgiveness. We got eternal life. We, we got the presence of God in our life. We have a new start. We have a new purpose. We have spiritual gifts and promises of provision. We have much more. We have the promise of joy. The good news is is that Jesus died for you and me. He paid our penalty. And so if you've never started a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, you can do that today very simply by trusting Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever, anyone, believes in him should not perish but have Eternal life. To believe means to have faith. It means to trust. It means to rely on. And one of the ways that we can just talk to God is through prayer. And prayer is one of the ways that we can express our faith in God. And I'm just going to suggest a prayer uh, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, that you could pray silently from your heart, and all of us will join, and everybody will join in when we pray. And just listen to the prayer. I'm going to go through it twice. First time, just listen. Could you make this prayer your own? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Right now, I put my trust in Jesus who paid my sin penalty. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to be the kind of person that you want me to be. Help me... to continue to grow in my understanding. Can you make that prayer yours? Let's just everyone bow our heads together, bow our hearts together. I want to go through that a second time. And if you, if you prayed that, if, you, if this is the desire that you have, pray that with me silently from your own heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. Thank you that Jesus paid for my sins when he died on the cross for me. I trust him right now. I believe in Jesus. Thank you, God, for forgiving my sins. Thank you, God, for giving me eternal life. Help me to learn to follow Jesus and help my understanding of you grow. Now, if you've prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand? If you prayed that prayer, everybody's head is still bowed. Nobody's looking around. If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand so I can see it. Anyone else? Did did you pray with me? Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, I thank you for every person here. Thank you that Jesus died for every person. Thank you for those who have prayed this morning to place their faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's in this room or whether they're watching on video. May they sense your presence right now. May they sense the forgiveness of their sins, that you are giving them a clean slate. God, I pray for all of us as we um, wait for you. Help us to be ready and help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close our service today, we're going to share in a time of communion. And Jesus shared that first communion on the night that He did all the teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. When we celebrate communion, we're called to remember. To remember the death of Jesus. And one of the the significant things is we tend to lose focus of that. We tend to forget. I mean, yeah, we had a good experience. We had a spiritual experience. And then we get on with life and Jesus loses our focus. And we forget that sometimes that we are sinners and that we were saved by grace and that we're not better than any other people and that we need to humbly walk with God and we need to keep short accounts with God and so when we we need to be able to confess our sins and this is one time where Jesus says I want the whole church to come together and make sure that their sins are confessed before me and then just to take this time because Jesus gave bread and he, and he gave a cup. And, the, he, and, and he said, this, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so that's why we, we take the bread and the cup is to remember, to bring that focus back. So I want to I pray and give thanks for the bread and the cup. And uh, as we do this, just ask God to search your heart. Is there anything that you need to confess to Him and do business with God? Be honest before Him. Ask for His forgiveness. Take the time that you need. And Then God, we thank you for the bread that represents your body that was broken on our behalf. Thank you for the cup that represents the blood that was shed for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. We recognize we don't deserve it. It is by your grace. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. In Christ's name, amen. So we have a sealed communion, and um, whenever you're ready, you can just come. We have a station on each side. You can come and pick up your communion and walk back to your seat, and then you can take it whenever you're ready at your seat.